This is FX Medicine, bringing you the latest in evidence-based, integrative, functional and complementary medicine. I'm Dr. Damien Christoph, a Melbourne-based chiropractor and naturopath. And joining us today is Kate Smythe, a sports naturopath, holistic health and performance coach, guest speaker and director at the Athlete Sanctuary. Kate now runs a holistic sports practice designed for female athletes who thrive on challenges. She provides support to sportswomen competing in endurance events, professional team sports, and wild adventurers through a balanced health, holistic nutrition, and female-centered approach. Kate developed her passion for health during her career as an elite runner competing for Australia at the Olympic and Commonwealth Games. And in 2008, she held the fastest time in Australia in the women's marathon and is one of our all-time fastest women over this distance. What a welcome to the show, Kate. It's so wonderful to have you on FX Medicine. How are you? I'm great. Thank you very much for having me here. It's um it's great to talk to you today and, and share a bit of um, bit of an insight and a bit of a passion into supporting athletes. So thank you very much for having me. Oh, Kate, it's such a unique space to work in. And a lot of people, people have an athlete in their practice. You know, whether you're a yeah. naturopath, a chiropractor, a herbalist, an integrative GP, there's an athlete. You know, whether it's a middle-aged male in Lycra, a mammal, um, or whether it's the <laughs> weekend warrior out on the road or whether it's somebody playing netball or or, you know, rising to AFL or AFLW ranks, someone's got an athlete in their practice. And I think there'll be everybody who's listening to this today will be excited to learn a little bit more about what they can do to help these people out. Yeah. And look, I think it's good to sort of pause and think about, you know, what really is an athlete. And it's not necessarily someone, you know, sometimes we can label them as, oh, they're elite, but it's actually just someone who's really passionate about their exercise and fitness. And perhaps they're competing, but perhaps they're not. I find it's quite interesting as to who identifies as an athlete. And a lot of the time, some people also don't identify as athletes, but they're still doing at least 10 hours of exercise a week. They're pretty committed to the cause. So, you know, we can deal with all kinds of athletes in our daily lives in clinical practice from, as you say, someone who's running around the block once or twice a week to someone who's, you know, fully committed and working towards a a major, major sort of event or um, a goal that they want to accomplish. Yeah, so well, it's so true, so true. Let's maybe um, delve into this a little bit because people are wondering, okay, so can you just hang up your shingle and call yourself a sports naturopath? Is that something that you can do or should you go and get some further qualification and do some well, further I training think, and coaching? I think potentially you could if you had a really strong background in sports naturopathy. I think where I sort of came into this line of practice was really because I wanted to focus on supporting athletes. So I did go and do some additional training. I am a a qualified athletics coach and I have come up through Mm. several decades of being an athlete and done additional sports nutrition training. So it's not like um, straight out of college, you may feel you have enough to specialize in sports. But I think as naturopaths generally, if we've done a degree in naturopathy, we've covered most of the basic principles of balance and health and well-being and they really beautifully lend themselves to all athletes because by far I find those that are highly motivated they have an issue with balance rather motivation so they're not always but typically a type plus 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 and they're not just (laughs) trying to achieve in their sport they're high achievers in life so they tend to be burning the candle at both ends with uh, a fair amount of gusto. So, you know, sometimes yeah. just helping them to 
take a little bit of a rain check on how much they're jamming into their lives is, you know, as much as we need to give them because they're really good at, you know, as I said, motivating and exercising, but often it's about the right mix, the right balance, and then fueling and actually looking after their health so that they can achieve those goals because they're very focused on the exercise, not always on the lifestyle and the general principles of overall health that as naturopaths that's our gig right yeah yeah that's right we help people help bring people back into uh let's call it homeostasis for want of a better word but um, or balance so just thinking about that kate i mean how does how does a athlete who's an a plus 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 type how does that person (laughs) um handle you saying hey cool your jets you know, let's get back in. Let's get back into balance. You know, let's not. Yeah. You know, let's not burn the candle at both ends. What sort of athlete is coming to you and is going to accept that sort of um, advice? Mm-hmm. So, so it really depends on the level of athlete that that I'm dealing with. Um, so, those that are in high performance, i.e., they're trying to get to the Olympics or World Championships, then it's a different kind of language because we're trying to meet their performance goals. So the way that I may language that would be around this will help your performance. Do you realise that the overall balance within this uh, approach is perhaps lacking in some of the support that could actually make you perform better? And I and I go through the the wave of training as well because typically they will be in a scheduled system that will give them a training block and then active recovery as well. So they'll have some kind of periodization to their training. And in some situations, that is also broken down into a weekly basis. So I always start the conversation around, you know, what they're training for, what is their training load, what is their daily you know, load like, because one athlete might be doing one session, another athlete might be doing up to three or four sessions a day. So we've got a huge variance in terms of load that an athlete is going through. And then it also is very age dependent, you know, a junior athlete, you may be able to have a conversation around the basic principles of fueling their body, but you're not going to go into as much detail or technical conversation as you could with a mature athlete who knows their physiology, who really is right into their thorough understanding of Krebs cycle of all the detail, you know. Um, it really depends <laughs> on, the, on, the, on the, you know, on the athletes. But I find if we're we're having an issue with recovery and rest, I go back to the basics again of sympathetic dominance and parasympathetic um, mm-hmm. nervous system. And when I can explain the two um, sides of the coin, their ears prick up and they go, oh, I get it. So if I did actually do some more yoga or parasympathetic-based activity, I'll find I recover better. Therefore, the next day I can actually perform better in that session or that game or, you know, whatever it is. And then over time I describe it a little bit like building a book. So a session or an event is just one page in their book and it's the consistency and the building blocks over time that get them to their career peak, you know, over many, many Mm -hmm. years. So it's not, you know, it's not ever what they're doing on one day. It's the little things that they're doing frequently, which again goes back to basic principles of naturopathy. It's just those little things that can make a huge difference if we do them repetitively over time. 
But I do yeah. find telling an athlete who is fully committed to the cause to just have a rest and take a holiday is a bit of a dirty a dirty word. <laughs> so we kind yeah. of, you know, instead of having yeah. a complete rest and take time off, it's more about let's see how we could change the load. Let's see how we yeah. could adjust this balance. And that that's the kind of language I tend to use rather than stop, you know, you can't do this, this isn't good for you because that that is quite difficult for an athlete to digest. Yeah, totally. I can imagine that it would be. And some of them might actually feel like it's a bit of a fail. If you're if you're listening to this right now and your ears pricked up about sympathetic and parasympathetic dominance, remember that I interviewed Dr. Wayne Todd on FX Medicine um, a few months ago. And if you want to go back and we talk all about sympathetic dominance, the SD protocol is what he calls it. Um, learn about all of that because that'll be relevant with what we're about to talk about with Kate. So there's some more information for you to get. So Kate, coming back to you, um, mm. if when you're building somebody's nutrition or naturopathy package up, are you doing a diet analysis? Do you look at their diet? I mean, are they doing you know high carb these days? Are they being keto? Are they being paleo? Mm. Are they now drifting back to vegan? What are people doing um, and That's where good. do people tend to go wrong with their diet? Yeah, that's a huge topic into itself, that one, nutrition side of things. Mm. And I find that it's different for every sport. So the endurance athletes, I tend to work mostly with marathoners, Ironmen and endurance cyclists. So that sort of modality tends to be well across the carb side of things. But then there's newer sort of sports, trail running, for example, the ultras, where the more restrictive dieting has become quite popular and I think we have to really be like what? Careful. What, what diets are they doing? What for, are they doing? For example, uh, low carb, the idea of fat adaption, um, which, yeah. to be honest, you can get away with when you're going at very low intensity running for a long period of time. However, yeah. a marathoner that's doing road running at high performance will not do so well because they're actually running a marathon at. 320 to 330 pays for a female, that's pretty much oh, will full pelt the whole way along. It's not six-minute K pace. So when, when, when we talk about nutrition, it has to be so tailored to that individual, to their training needs and to what they're trying to achieve. So some of the more popular things that we would all be well aware of is paleo and restrictive diet, which which you can definitely do in more weight-based um, powerlifting, power sports. You can do that because sure. you're not necessarily needing as much carbohydrate. But in endurance things, I still find that athletes do much better if they have the sufficiency of carbohydrate or they're at least doing carb wrapping around their sessions. So they're having adequacy when they need it the most and then perhaps reducing mm. it at other times of the day when they're, you know, if they're only training once, well, they're wrapping it around their morning session if that's in the morning and then they can reduce their load of carbohydrate in terms of the total intake or budget for the day, so to speak, at, at another point in time, not not when they're needing it the most. And then if, yeah. we're, if we're looking at things like plant-based athletes, that's become extremely popular. That's sort of the area that's growing the most rapidly at the moment. And 
you know, I find that that is challenging the further up the performance scale they're going, if you know what I mean. Like a, a recreational athlete could definitely get away with plant-based eating if they are well-educated, but the higher performance levels definitely do not have as many plant-based eating athletes simply because of the demands. It's so hard. Most elite athletes are eating anywhere between five to seven times a day, decent amounts of food. It's just you literally would be just eating continuously to get the right amount of nutrient in. Yeah, how do you get the plant-based um, athlete to understand the importance of protein? And then next question following up from that um, – are plant-based proteins enough? Well, that's a really good question. I think that's where we're well-placed to educate them on things like protein combining and explaining the simplicity of, okay, you're choosing not to eat red meat. Here's the equivalent in plant-based foods, you know, and, and it might be a palm size of chicken, for example. Uh, you need at least two to two and a half if you're having the equivalent of plant-based proteins and explaining uh-huh. the combination of the amino acids that are in plant-based foods so they would at least get some of those building blocks in, you know. And mm-hmm. it's surprising still how athletes, they can get away with plant-based eating for at least six months to 12 months before they'll even show signs of deficiency. But once they do, once the B12 starts to tank, once the iron starts to tank, then they really notice a difference in their performance. But Mm. the thing is that they can actually get gains initially because they often lose a bit of weight and they can actually feel and train better within their bodies but then it's a little bit like a leaky balloon you know it just slowly slowly catches up with them and then at some point they go oh I feel tired and I don't know why you know I haven't changed anything Uh for six months and that's when um you know we may decide to run some pathology and go well actually that makes sense you know you haven't had anything you haven't taken in any iron rich foods or b12 if they haven't been deliberate about their eating and I think that's where plant-based eating and I did it myself as an athlete I did do a block of being vegetarian and strictly vegan for quite a period of time Mm -hmm. but I did absolutely supplement and I absolutely did have to have a nutrition plan to keep me focused because you the iron as well in plant-based foods, you need just so much of it. And then you've got the phytates and the oxalates that then compete and then, you know, so it's a bit more complex. (laughs) Yeah, a lot more. It's more than just boiling your spinach. It's more than just boiling your your silver bait. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Kate, let's go into that because that's that's obviously and clearly a passion of yours and then we'll come back to other stuff in a second. So while we're talking about macrocytosis and microcytosis, why don't we talk about what happens when an athlete becomes depleted or insufficient in in iron uh, or it becomes insufficient or depleted in B12? What are the things that go wrong and is mm. it possible to restore it? Can it be ever yeah. fixed? Yeah, absolutely. It certainly can. And I think there's two sides to what we're talking about. Well, there's many sides because we've got to actually identify, is this actually just a depletion or an insufficiency going into the body? Or is there in fact other things that are going on? And I think sometimes with plant-based athletes, we can assume is their intake. What I tend to find in clinical practice is that they're 
can be underlying issues associated with that individual's gut health. For example, if the hydrochloric acid over time has downregulated, they perhaps have been in environments where um, they've been exposed to other pathogens. And because of that, I kind of liken the the hydrochloric acid as a bit of a, you know, well, it is one of our first lines of defences, but it's a little bit like the doors open. And so other pathogens can come in. And I find plant-based athletes, their gut health often is frightful after, a, you know, a period of time. So they've got other things going on and they've got bacteria or parasites or H. pylori, but it's actually also some of the nutrient depleters So we can have a bit of a combination that's going on. It may not necessarily be intake. Then depending on their actual activity levels and their sport, we can have hemolytic breakdown. If they're women and they are heavy bleeders, obviously we're losing blood. We're also losing iron, for example, through an athlete's sweat. There's there's a number of other reasons why. You lose iron through sweat? Yeah. Yeah, wow. you can. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And obviously salt. all of these wow. are micro. These are micro losses that I'm talking about here. But sure. often I find, no, especially with like endurance athletes, we'll find that they have a lot of microscopic blood loss through urine, urine and feces yeah. because they've, if yeah. they're doing intense sessions, their gut lumen can have inflammation and a lot of friction and and constriction of blood flow as well. So we can get irritation that then leads to um, microscopic loss. And in some cases, it's not microscopic loss. You know, after marathoners, it's not uncommon to see rusty urine. So they've actually had blood loss as a result of running 42.2 kilometres. Yeah. Yeah. And if they're doing long runs every week, were they losing that every if they're doing a mid-run, mid-week long run, it's every Wednesday and Thursday that they can actually see it in, in the toilet bowl. So it just accumulates wow. over time. And I think, um, you know, we, we just have to, as practitioners, just gather as much information as we can about some of these subtle little possibilities of where an athlete may be losing iron, as well as ensuring that they're actually taking in as much as they possibly can through their nutrition at the same time as looking after their gut health. You know, it's not just more food. More food is not necessarily going to fix the athlete because it really is what they're absorbing, not what they're putting into their mouth. When we go down that line of um, absorption, um, mm. obviously there's some clear things that we look at and we see as naturopaths um, and nutritionists and integrative GPs, we see a few things. Um, and a few years ago, there was a, a, a really big um, push towards the understanding of gluten enteropathy and zonulin and so on and so on and so forth. You know, non-celiac gluten enteropathy and um, celiac disease, and then FODMAPs have become a big thing. Um, and yeah. so, are these the sorts of um, malabsorptive profiles that you might expect to see with athletes, or are we talking now about people, you know, who are putting their body into such significant stress that they're having malabsorption as a result of that? I wouldn't make the correlation necessarily between the FODMAPs and and the celiacs with athletes. Um, I wouldn't form that direct correlation. I think athletes who have any of those underlying issues will typically seek out additional help. So we may see them in clinical practice. I certainly do see them in in my clinical practice, and that's also because I'm a celiac, I think. But uh, I think it's general gut inflammation that we can see more of that then impacts you know, an athlete's absorption. Uh, I would probably say that's more the case 
than necessarily yeah. pathology, so to speak. Cool. Okay, cool. That's good. I think it's really good for the practitioner to hear because it's very easy to bark up a tree when you think of malabsorption and you kind of go, okay, you've got to be gluten-free. Okay, we're going FODMAPs. Okay, we're doing Not this. And okay, we're doing that. No. And yes, that's no. right. And, yeah, and I like I'd, it. I'd have to say probably seven out of ten of the athletes that come into my clinic if we start with a general, if they've got um, issues with digestion, if we start on a basic gut healing protocol involving um, all the goodies that we have as naturopaths to just help the mucosal lining, to just help those tight junctions, we inevitably find that the gut integrity improves and their ability to absorb their nutrients improves by doing that alone without mm. worrying about any other nasties going on. And what, we, we're, what we're also doing is really preventing, you know, we're preventing any further issues further down the track. But, uh, of course, we rule them out if we're suspecting if there's a family predisposition or genetic line of celiacs. Of course, you're going to rule that out. But Well, there's um, other signs and symptoms, you know, whatever else is going other signs on, you and know, symptoms, using of course. proper. Yeah, yes. yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Building up a full case history just because it's an athlete. Yeah, just because I'm an athlete, I don't like. I have athletes who do particularly well on on dairy, and I go, great, okay. If that's your thing, that's fine. Let's just keep it in moderation and balance, because that's the other thing with the A type personality. If they jump onto one thing and think that's a good thing, sometimes they can feel that more is better. And you know, it's all about just explaining they don't necessarily have to have whey protein isolate protein powders every day. Use it sparingly. Use it when you really need it as a backup. You know, instead of using it as a as a major food group for a meal, why not have scrambled eggs on toast, for example? <laughs> um, and I think yeah. also we can keep, keep we can real. be yeah we can be flexible in our approach. I think for a lot of athletes, because generally they tend to be very healthy. Generally, you know, they don't necessarily have a poor health history, but they're pushing their bodies to a limit. So we just have to realise that, okay, we just possibly need to rebalance and recalibrate them rather than treat them as if they're a patient with a chronic illness because they're not unwell, they've just gone over the edge and they're pushing their bodies continuously, daily, and it's about just making sure we kind of bring them back into, back into balance again. Yeah, yeah, great points and great advice there, Kate. Thank you. And I think that's really reassuring for each, all of our listeners, you know, when they're thinking about their athletes, okay, cool, we can just, you know, cool the jets a little bit, come back to naturopathic principles. So we're looking at diet, that's really important. And then we're looking at sleep and rest and parasympathetic yeah. tone and all of these sorts of things. What else are you looking at? Like what, what are the sorts of um, things that you see athletes present to you with in your practice um, on a daily basis, weekly basis? Are you seeing knee injuries, inflammation? Are you seeing rotated cuff tears, what are the sorts of things that you're kind of seeing that you end up managing and how would you manage it? Yeah, typically on the injury side of things, I find as naturopaths, we're not necessarily the first port of call. We can be for chronic inflammation, you know, joint pain, you know, muscle cramps, for example. A lot of athletes are not necessarily great, I find, with their hydration or even just basic mineral loss like magnesium. You know, so the cramping and the general aches and pains, I think, comes along with being an athlete. It's our clinical discretion, I guess, to be able to work out, is this just the athlete pushing themselves or is there 
actually a nutritional depletion issue here or insufficiency here. So not necessarily, again, a condition. It's more what are they depleted in? And I find working a lot with females that outside of anemia, yep, they've got aches and pains and sore muscles and sometimes achy joints. But we we also, especially if they're in weight category sports or endurance sports, we need to be very mindful of their body fat and cycle related to that because the amenorrhea tends to be quite prevalent within, certainly in certain sports, not yeah. so much in the team sports, but definitely endurance sports. And in young, young women, then we can slip into more the reds, energy deficiency side of things and eating disorders that may come into part of that picture as well. And I think as clinicians, we just need to not assume, but just ask all those questions to see whether there potentially is an underlying issue and then not necessarily feel that we're in the place that we need to treat them, but just pull the team together or supportive team of clinicians who can then best support them. So as naturopaths, we're not necessarily the first port of call with eating disorders or REDS, but we can definitely play a vital role in that team to support the athlete and get them through. On the other side, with with the women's health and the cycles, I find with a lot of athletes, they can sort of let it go, although it's not a big deal to miss mm-hmm. a cycle. And indeed, it may Just not push be. It aside. It's, you know, it's really common for women to miss a cycle or two leading into a, a competition. But if that's going mm-hmm. on for months and years, then I think we need to uh, really step in and just help them understand the benefits of actually having a proper hormone cycle for, for bone protection and for everything else, you know, that our beautiful hormones do for us. But from an athlete perspective, they can get a little bit blinkered and actually potentially see it as a good thing that their cycle switches off. So I think we're stepping into that now. The research in women in sport is definitely increasing, which is awesome, but we still have quite a way to go, I think, in terms of our knowledge and our understanding of how to adapt training loads and nutrition for women to get the most out of that individual. Can we um, can we go back just a, a step there, Kate, and just go back yeah. to the amenorrhea piece? But I've um, come across a number of female athletes that, would purposely create amenorrhea through using the contraceptive pill. And Mm. it's very difficult when they've got a concern over their iron levels or they've been told that they've got heavy bleeding and they use the the pill um, to manage that, to kind of have that conversation. But how do you you broach the conversation with the female athlete who – is on the brink of an you know an iron deficiency and is maybe using the contraceptive pill or is maybe now in a state of amenorrhea because she's lost so much body fat. What 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 are you mm. bringing up? What are you what conversation are you having here? Generally, I you know I go back to their performance goals and I go back to just a, a really good understanding of what is their understanding of the pill and what it's actually doing, and then linking that to performance because we know that women who are on the pill, it's not necessarily protective, for example, of bone health. We've got enough research to now say it is not doing that job. You know, we actually need a healthy, balanced hormone cycle to be protective in later life. And also from a sports performance perspective, 
there's a body of evidence to, that's now coming to light that females who can actually have the peak and surges of our hormones can actually really get greater gains by utilising and embracing their cycle. So, so flatlining a female is not necessarily all that it's cracked up to be. Yep, they may not be losing the blood, but if there was another way that we could do that and balance them so that they were actually addressing the underlying cause of their problem rather than necessarily just suppressing it, and we could balance their hormones to minimise the excess blood loss why else would you be on the pill? Well, they may be on it for contraceptive reasons, you know, understandably, but there are also other options there. And my role is generally to just educate them on the options. We can't force anyone to make a decision. We can just give them the information and let them make an informed decision. But ultimately, i found that most women it's really interesting the change that I'm finding even in young women that are coming to me and saying, look, I'm on the pill, but I want to come off the pill. I want a more natural approach. I really don't like what medication is feeling within my body. And I'd really like to try a more natural balanced approach. I find that that's sort of, you know, a real groundswell that is happening at the moment, not necessarily women coming in and saying, I've got endo, I really want to go on the pill, I really want to, you know, just suppress my symptoms. They're seeking options at the moment. And I think as naturopaths, you know, we're well placed to say, look, there are other options. We can try these other options and not being blinkered. You know, our way is not the highway either. For some women, their endo is so advanced, absolutely, they do need some medication, you know, and they're bedridden. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, and it's yeah, a slowly, slowly, gently, gently approach. So we can't say, yep, we're going to fix you. It's just about, okay, what if we were to get you in a state of better balance? And what if, you know, your blood loss was halved? And what if we improved your absorption and helped you to understand where you could actually get enough iron through your diet? Would you be willing to have a look at that as an option? And inevitably I find they go, hell yes. Yes, please. When do we start? Yeah, totally. Why wouldn't you? Yeah, why wouldn't you? Hey, Kate, we've only got a couple of minutes to go, so I thought what I might do is ask you um, some questions that kind of almost have a yes or no answer um, or a really short answer (laughs) that goes beyond yes or no. Okay. All right. (laughs) So with every athlete that you see, are they all deficient in magnesium? No. No. Okay. No. All right. Interesting, interesting. All right, cool, you said great. All. That's, that, I said no. But yes. I'd have to say that's a yes. really high percentage. <laughs> <laughs> really all right, high percentage, next question. But not all. If there was a percentage of magnesium deficiency in athletes, what would it be? I'd say at least 80%. <laughs> Okay, there we go. <laughs> 80 20 rule, Frodo's <laughs> principle, it always works. And now, does every athlete that you see need to be on some kind of nutritional supplementation or support? No. All right, great. And so primarily the most of the time they're able to manage their performance with real food, food first, yeah? Food, I always do food first and then top up yeah. the deficiencies for a period of time and then come off them, mm-hmm. nothing permanently. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, in terms <laughs> of uh, inflammation, in terms of yeah. inflammation, because that's a big, it's still a, a perpetual buzzword. It has been it for the last big, 30 yeah. years. Inflammation, right? What are your top three tips for inflammation? What are you using? Oh, I still love Not Not product names, but just ingredients. Oh, yeah, turmeric and boswellia yeah. are probably my two go-tos. Yeah, 
Yeah. Have you got a third one? Oh, third one. You don't Ooh. have to. Fish oil? Does that work anymore? Look, on a slow burn, on a slow level, yeah, yeah, but not as a yeah. quick, I've got uh, sore joints and I need help next week. No, I'd use something okay. else for that. Okay. Yeah. And with the athlete that's had um, a viral infection um, and there's been mm. lots of viral infections in this last couple of years, is there a greater need to do more for their immune system and support them um, or are you seeing that they're just kind of riding it out? That's a really good question. I think a lot of athletes with long COVID that – do not have the same lung capacity six months later. That's very much a case-based assessment, I would have to say, not necessarily mm-hmm. across an athlete perspective. But an mm-hmm. athlete, if they're at high performance, I'd probably put them on something quite gentle. For example, making sure their vitamin D is sufficient and maybe doing something through their food, even if that's supporting them with zinc and vitamin C-rich foods and and reishi or shiitake mushrooms, you know, just something they can Mm. include all the time as a management thing. Mm. I like it. I like it. Really good. Last question and then we're going to finish this off. With regards to sleep, we didn't get a chance to um, cover Mm. it, albeit, you know, most naturopaths would recommend that their patients and their athletes get sleep. Um, Mm. How important is sleep and rest for the athlete and how much sleep and rest should an athlete be getting on a daily basis? Yeah, essential. It's their number one key performance ingredient ahead of food almost, I'd reckon. Depending on, again, the athlete's expenditure of um, and training load, a lot of my athletes need anywhere between 10 to 11 hours minimum a day. So the way that we do that is the main bank of sleep. So early to bed, a lot of athletes are in bed by 9 o'clock. Um, yeah. and then wow. uh, an afternoon nap where they can and weekend banking of sleep. Yeah, because it's You can essential. bank it? Can you put it, can you bank it away, sleep? <laughs> meaning, <laughs> meaning they're making sure on, on their weekends they're not jam-packed, you know. <laughs> okay. They're, they're All right. I think you can make up for lost sleep. You can't do that. No, no, oh, no, no, Kate, no, what a what great mean. interview. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining <laughs> me today. Well. It's been unbelievable it's so good and you've got so much knowledge we could have made a three-part episode of this one i reckon but well Well, maybe maybe we might have you kate smith thank you so much for joining me on fx medicine thank you everybody for listening today and don't forget that uh, you can find out all of the show notes transcripts and other resources on the fx medicine website if you want to find out more about kate smith go to athletesanctuary.com.au i'm dr damien christoph thanks for joining us This podcast is intended as healthcare practitioner education only, and it is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment.